It's time once again for another episode of the Buckhead Business Show. Being brought to you by the Buckhead Business Association. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta. And now, here's your host for today's episode. Well, good morning, good morning. It is a true Buckhead day today. It is gorgeous out here. We could turn the heat down a notch, but we're in, other than that, we're in great, great shape. So I'm Michael Moore. I'm your host. I'm here at the, at the behest of the Buckhead Business Association. We sponsor this show each week to bring Buckhead businesses to the spotlight. We bring on uh, subjects and subject matter experts, which will really, really, really wake up some ideas and thoughts. And we don't want to hurt your head, but we do want you to think about a few things and, and become, that may be important to you sooner or later. And today we've got some interesting subjects. We're going to be talking about that, that subject that you probably have brushed on in cocktail parties called blockchain. We're also going to look at the dark web. <laughs> and then a lastly part is that everybody needs to be authority or everybody needs to be branded. So we're going to talk about the evolution of the web. And we're going to get it done in just a few minutes, folks. But we're going to talk about why becoming a brand is important and why you you need to be continually thinking about what people think about you because it is important. So let's roll out first of all with our first guest is going to be Hunter Pentergast. Hunter is a electrical engineer. He's got a specialization in computer engineering and he holds a very diverse background in computer system security and design. He's even worked with naval nuclear reactors as an operator. He, I hope he did a good job there and knew how to turn that button <laughs> off. Uh, he's also worked with naval instrumentation and control equipment, and boy, I tell you what, knowing how to control the equipment in a submarine or anywhere else would be pretty important. Over the last few years, though, he's been working in the blockchain technology arena and learning more and more about how we communicate, why we communicate, and he's had some interesting experiences over in Switzerland, learning about some of this process as it's matured outside of our country. Since he's gotten back to the U.S., though, he's been working extensively to understand the blockchain world from the bottom up. And he's built, as we've built this magical thing called cryptocurrency, which I know you all people know all the answers to, but the trading engines for that process is very complicated. Most recently, he's observed limitations in this technology, and he's begun to work on ways to prevent, preview, and solve the, the things we're going to have happen as we go further valuing. Because blockchain is a terribly, terribly complicated process. And he's poised to cause the disruption in that chain not to really be as bad as it could be. And then again, as I mentioned, he's going to talk a little bit about the uh, dark, dark web. So, Hunter, you've got a pretty interesting background you bring to us this morning. So talk a little bit about how you got where you are today. First, I want to do one point of clarification on that. I, I did not myself uh, go to Switzerland. I work with business partners ah. who did go to Switzerland that were part of the founding team for the Ethereum Foundation and part of the pre-sale That's, project. My apologies. That's but, all right. Um, you, so your passport wasn't punched, but you got all the knowledge. Uh, absolutely. Good, good so enough. Just want to make sure I'm not misrepresenting what I've done. So the, the current work that I'm doing right now is with a company that myself and my business partner, Nicholas Fierro, founded called Mamir Blockchain Technologies. And what we're trying to address is the problem of accessibility within blockchain technology. I mean, you talk about how uh, people have probably discussed it over cocktails, but not very many people actually know how to go and do a whole lot with the technology right now. And that's a That's a very large problem from our perspective. So we're trying to address that issue. And uh, without going into a whole lot of details, we'll be publishing some papers about how we plan to solve that issue, hopefully within the next 24 hours. Um, you know how deadlines work, though. Well, this is timely. This is an evergreen show, so we'll give you more than 24 hours if you need it. All right. <laughs> so I guess the, the question is, where, where would you like to start on blockchain? Well, you know, give people a basic idea of why we have to have something as complex and as complete as blockchain to take care of all these new cryptocurrencies. And maybe even give a little definition. I'm, if you don't mind, be Wikipedia today for us. All right. So I, I think the, the first thing that we need to really understand or define is the, 
the concept of what a blockchain is. And a blockchain is a, a public database in which the entire world or anyone who has a copy of that database can read information from it freely. But an individual may only modify information in that database if they have the correct permissions to do so, the user accounts, so to speak. And that's a, a very exciting idea in the sense that we can put all kinds of public systems in any place where public information, public transparency is a good idea. Blockchains facilitate readily distributing information in a verifiable manner between lots and lots of individuals in the world. Cryptocurrencies are a specific application of blockchain technology in which we use that public auditability to exchange value between individuals. I use the word value, I guess that's kind of a, a buzzword within the community because they don't like to always call them actual currencies <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. Legal, legal being one. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure all of the listeners and yourself are familiar even with the SEC opinion that was published the other day. Or, oh, sure. Or we, we visited yeah. old cocktails just last evening on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> About three bottles of scotches, I remember. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that kind of covers the, the base definitions of what these two technologies are and how they're kind of interrelated. Now, cryptocurrency is obviously one of the exciting parts, but I want to look at what you said about the transparency. We know that record-keeping and what we call buzzingly the uh, Freedom of Information Act that everybody was always concerned about so many years ago relate to what a difference that's going to make in the future in terms of the administrative cost of maintaining good transparency, and, and how are we going to grow this up and use it in many, many industries? I think, if you don't mind, I think our listeners will be interested in that aspect. Absolutely. Um, I think that one of the best applications is within public infrastructure, which seems to be what you're talking about, transparency of systems. And those technologies are being developed by many different individuals. Unfortunately, those are also some of the least profitable ventures in the <laughs> short term. So moving from where we are now to that point, um, I believe is a, a natural progression of the technology. And it, it does a allow an auditable trace of exchanges that do occur. For instance, if we were to discuss land title issues, you could uh, systematically trace the division and change of ownership of a piece of property as a record within one of these technologies. That's something that's been discussed in Dubai and several other countries sure. in the world already. And that's a really good application of that transparency. But once again, we're going to have some, some things to overcome before we get from where we are to there. Well, I was going to say, we, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, we all started looking at scanning all of our documents so they could be automated. They had to be referenced and filed and worked with. And, of course, we've accumulated a tremendous asset base of information. It could be integrated into the blockchain, blockchain technology to make it simpler. And most recently, I guess, who, who was it that delivered uh, three roomfuls of documents, uh, 69,000 emails or whatever, to investigate a case? Making that information available without tremendous public expense and exposure is probably one of the stronger reasons that the transparency always bubbles to the top. Yes, I, I completely agree. And in reference to documents and contracts and things of those sort, one of the, the other really interesting value propositions that uh, this technology holds, at least with the Ethereum blockchain, is that documents themselves, what we call smart contracts, may be programmed into at least the Ethereum blockchain. And what that means is that you can create self-enforcing contracts that are a piece of the actual blockchain, immutable record. Uh, mm -hmm. You can provably play out the logic of these contracts and cause that 
progression of the the or the execution of that code to automatically exchange cryptocurrency between individuals. Now, now you've re- you've referenced uh, this the system and the security and the and the building of the past, the tracking of the, the calculation. How is this now so important, and especially in using in transactions? What, what is it going to make a difference in our security? I guess would be well. It actually already is beginning to. So the major financial institutions have begun investigating this technology as a means of mediating international exchange. The you know the the idea of being able to uh, essentially send an email um, that contains wealth is a pretty phenomenal concept. And one of those ideas, uh, or one of those examples of that idea was, I was reading an article not too long ago, someone executed a uh, change of value between two individuals, they exchanged cryptocurrency, and that person moved something in the vicinity of $140 million. The processing fee to do that exchange was nine cents. And that that could have been between any two individuals in the world. Now, I don't know who those individuals are, (laughs) And there may be ways to determine who they are. I'm not going to even speculate through that. But the concept of being able to change that kind of wealth with those sorts of fees is a fundamental game changer. Yeah, if you just involve one border near that, that number would go a whole bunch of decimal points to the left. <laughs> uh, and, and, and take a sizable piece. We all worry about transactions and, of course, the added value of just having intermediaries, which is just so tremendous in the transactional world. So, whoa. Uh, so you've got new papers coming out in the next uh, short term. You've got uh, uh, information. You're having a great time at this. Now let's move over and talk about the other fun side. We don't have a lot of time, but I, most people, again, at the cocktail parties, they talk about the dark web, and it, it gets a lot of press for different reasons. So, again, play Wikipedia guy for a minute. Tell us kind of what that is and share with us what difference it might make in our lives. Okay. So the, the dark web is essentially a set of technologies that allows for anonymization while using the Internet. It also allows for websites to be established that are difficult to locate the origin of where the data is coming from. What this means is it's a, a censorship-free platform. That's very good for some things, which is people feel that they can speak freely about ideas without repercussion of, you know, the peers or governmental systems when you have oppressive regimes. Unfortunately, <laughs> it also allows for uh, criminals to do a whole diverse set of actions that we don't find preferential. And really how all of this technology kind of works is there's a big network of individuals that do this thing called onion routing. They, um, they essentially wrap up layer upon layer upon layer um, all kinds of uh, encryption on your messages to try and hide it from anyone who's listening in. And there's been a lot of work as to try to how to unwrap some of that, some of it fairly successful, some of it not so much. That's kind of the broad overview, at least, of the topic. How do you, how do you get involved with uh, helping some clients? Because I'm sure this interface is directly into the to the things that blockchain are trying to make transparent. And that's why we wanted to get you on the data to kind of show the relationship and the comparison. Well, I would say that the the dark web allows for a very useful set of interactions and that cryptocurrencies have been employed in the dark web. But I would say that the interaction of the two is probably not something I would advocate as a great invention for the world. A really good example of that is uh, a project that a lot of people are probably familiar with, which is Silk Road. 
And what that was was a, a completely open marketplace. It was essentially a place where criminals were meeting on the dark mm -hmm. web to sell almost any type of wear you can imagine and then using cryptocurrency to exchange um, value for those wares. That wasn't a, uh, a good invention, in my opinion, but it did demonstrate the viability of cryptocurrency to be able to be used mm -hmm. as a means of exchanging value. Mind you, the products were completely wrong. I would much prefer eBay than, than Silk Road, <laughs> but uh, it, it is an interesting interaction nonetheless. Well, let's, let's just hope Amazon doesn't put in a bid for Silk Road. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we could all be involved with that process. So as we're going through now, we've looked at uh, the ultimate transparency over using blockchain totally correctly. The cryptocurrency, obviously, the means of transportation of dollars to, to pay, and, and then all the way to the dark web. So, you know, you said this is probably not the best for mankind to have all this stuff wound up. But, you know, as an expert, where do you see this market going in the next? Your research and your products and your things, which are what keep you up in the morning? I think that the creation of cryptocurrencies will allow for micro and Kickstarter type economies that uh, – cause the exchange of wealth between producers and consumers directly. Um, it eliminates middlemen and eliminates boundaries that are constructed by changes in political scheme between locations um, and business models. And it allows for a whole new set of business models to emerge. I believe that this technology is disruptive in the same way that the internet was in the late 90s. But we're going to need to make this technology a lot more accessible and a lot better understood before it can actually create those kinds of systemic changes. Well, I am certainly glad. We've been with Hunter Pentagast today, who's been working on this stuff. And certainly you've opened some doors and some windows for us today to look at how this relates. I'm sure we're looking forward to those white papers that are going to be put out less in less than 24 hours, you said, right? I hope. We'll <laughs> yeah. see. But like I said, we're evergreen, so it works. So we're here today on the Buckhead Business Show, brought to you by the courtesy of the Buckhead Business Association, which has been in our marketplace since 1951, helping businesses grow here in the marketplace. We do a weekly luncheon. My uh, associate here on the sand with me this morning just came to, from breakfast where we heard about some uh, city planning and finance in the Atlanta marketplace. And, uh, gee, it's just a reason to go. We also do evening events once a month. Uh, last last week we were just up in Greenberg Trowie's uh, palatial suites overlooking the city. So log on to BucketBusiness.org, take a look at what we're doing, and uh, maybe it's still time to get a ticket to the Taste of Buckhead Business this year. So let's move now into our second guest for the day, which is Michael Hammock. Now, you – you gave us a great segue, Hunter. I must have given you my show notes because uh, you, you mentioned late 90s when the Internet became real. Well, we have in the studio another guest today named Michael Hammock. Now, Michael has been in the Internet business since, I guess you just said, the Internet became real in the late 90s. Michael had been in the uh, telephone answering service business. Literally, I think I remember some uh, pictures of him holding a Radio Shack one-line phone back in the 80s or whenever when he got into the uh, business of technology. But Michael has grown up. But in the late 90s, he became a serial entrepreneur again and, and moved into the Internet space and has been there ever since, literally. And now he's working with something called Authority Marketing and uh, looking at how the web really impacts businesses every day in almost every way. So we're going to let Michael tell us how, why he got to do something this fun. Mr. Hammond? <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you, th this is something that just kind of uh, I crept into, I guess. Uh, I graduated with a degree in media and communications from Ohio State, and one thing led to another. And uh, I like to think or say that when Al Gore invented the Internet, I got involved with it right after that. 
so we've, we've been doing anything and everything as it relates to the web and the Internet. Uh, most recently, has been focused mostly on uh, the marketing side of it, uh, the reputation side of it, and the authority side of it. As it matures, it really is changing quite a bit. So what we try to do is to work with businesses to help them understand what they need to be doing and how they can leverage digital technology uh, to really build their brand, to build their authority. And there are really two segments that, that we target or they should target. There's the data side of it, which is the Googles of the world, and there's the customer side of it. When you look at the data side of it, if you look at Google, they're just a statistics company, really. They capture data and they analyze data and they automate the process to interpret that. So it becomes important to understand how impactful your data is in, in uh, giving you the position and response that you need. And then the other part of that, obviously, is the consumer side of it, which is, uh, you know, when I first got into business, it was building trust flesh to flesh. You met people, you built your reputation, and you built your trust that way. Today, that's not the case. <clears throat> A lot of that is built through digital technologies and translated into online reviews and, and recommendations. So it's leveraging, again, the technology to figure out how you can build your and manage your online reviews to support your reputation. Now, you said build and manage your, uh, your reviews. Uh, do you actually... Can we really get customers to talk about us and put the stuff on the web? How do you do that? Oh, you absolutely can. The biggest uh, fallacy that I think most businesses get hung up on is they expect customers to give them a review. Well, you actually (laughs) have to ask for the review. And generally you find that if you ask for the review, customers are really more than willing to give you their opinion and their feedback. So the first thing is just to ask for it. And the second thing is to have a system in place where you can easily manage that process and then turn it from review management to review marketing. I mean, most uh, people, most businesses know what review management is, and that certainly is a great tool, but it doesn't really help you from a marketing standpoint. So what we try to do is take it to the next level, which is not only managing your review, but once you are able to build four- and five-star reviews, it's how do you market those reviews to build your brand and to get your message out to the uh, prospective customers. Well, as you say, most people probably wouldn't mind giving you a review if you give them kind of a framework to what to do. I know laughingly when you call uh, Georgia Power, Atlanta Gaslight, or even Sears, many times they say the phone call is being recorded. And would you mind participating in a brief survey at the end to tell us how well we're going to do? And, you know, most people go, I'm not going to spend or waste that time or misinvest that time. So how do you get around that challenge? How does that work? Well, generally, uh, most companies have a a more direct relationship. So when you're doing business with a company in a restaurant, for example, I mean, you can tell uh, generally how the people are responding and how excited and motivated (laughs) they are or are not. So that that free order of cheese dip works, right? That's correct. That's (laughs) correct. And picking the right time to do that, the right customer uh, to do it. That's one of the ways that you can help manage and mitigate uh, bad reviews is you just don't if you've got a customer that's problematic if you can solve his problem they generally will wind up giving you a great review but you don't always uh, know that well, what kind of what kind of businesses or industries benefit from as you say managing their reputation online 
Uh, there are, in my opinion, no businesses that wouldn't benefit from it. Of course, we we look at restaurants, hotels, things like that, which are really fairly prevalent. But the best example to me would be referrals. And a lot of companies I talk with says, well, I don't need that because I get referrals from my other customers. But if you look at the life cycle of a referral, what generally happens is when a referral is passed along to you, 87% of the time, one of the first things that people do is they look for you online. They look for your reviews. <laughs> they, they Google you. Huh? They Google you. Exactly. <laughs> and once they Google you, then your uh, reviews and reputation is going to become very visible. So even if you're uh, getting your business from referrals, you still need to have a strong online uh, reputation in order to make those referrals work for you. Well, let, let's play crystal ball for a minute. Now, you said there's absolutely almost no one. So I'm going to take, you know, I don't mean to offend any pet owner out there, but the dog walking service needs reviews because, you know, little little, bu- little, little Buffy needs to be taken well. But also the brain surgeon. Am I right? Does it go that far apart? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's amazing. So let's let you play doctor for a moment, if you don't mind. You're sitting here in Pro Business Channel and you're sitting here with any kind of media company, and you're a media company, how do you begin to cultivate, and what places do you put those reviews to be most beneficial? Well, the first place to cultivate it is internally and to build a culture within the organization so that everyone in the organization's organization knows the value of reviews and how to solicit reviews and to manage reviews. And the second is to really have a system in place to do that so that people don't have to think about it. Uh, for example, uh, with many of our customers, we place a feedback form on their website. So it's very easy for a receptionist or someone to say, look, just go to this particular page and leave us a review, and we would greatly appreciate it. Then from that standpoint, it's, it's taking the review and making sure that there aren't any issues with it or clarifications and then syndicating that review to all of the other social media or locations. Could be your website, could be Facebook, could be Twitter. So you're trying to get as much distribution as you can, and that does two things. It sends out your message to a broader audience, but it also uh, provides links and feedback uh, to the Google of the world so that they're starting to add more value from from that standpoint. Well, I can just see right now my training manual for employees has just gotten twice as thick with social media. <laughs> so how on earth do you begin to, as you said, allow, train, instruct or give enough time for folks to help get that done inside the company. How do you begin to manage that? Well, <laughs> most companies really don't have the resources to do that. Ah, I'm glad there's an yeah. expert in the room, okay? <laughs> and that's part of the education curve for me is that I remember years ago when I first got into the technology business, people, uh, business owners used to ask me, well, how much do I need to spend on this or that or the other that's technology-related? And you gave that standard consulting answer, right? It depends. It depends. <laughs> Uh, but you've got to make the investment in order to get a return on it. So most businesses aren't specialists in this, so they turn to consultants like myself or uh, resources to kind of manage that process for them. So it really becomes fairly painless for them to do that. Okay. Well, you know, we, we all see these public testimonial products and, and ratings, I guess. Some of the key ones might be Yelp comes to mind. You mentioned restaurants earlier. Of course, you can manage your own image on your own website, and you have 100% control of that. But talk about the integration with how 
you can impact the difference uh, of perception on Yelp or some other organizational site. I'm just using those as a reference. But how many more of those kind of sites are out there? Oh, there are countless, right? Countless. All there right. are uh, tons of them. And, of course, Yelp and Facebook are, are some of the bigger ones. Uh, but how do you build a program that gives a, a, one of your clients confidence that they are doing a good job of and give them the tools, give them the training. Talk a little bit about those kind of experiences. Well, one of the great parts about the Internet is that you can capture data and provide reporting relatively easily. So if we take the feedback page, which we can monitor, then we can capture those reviews, and we can determine whether they're one, two, three, or four, five-star reviews. So our goal is to take those four- and five-star reviews and promote those through, uh, syndicate those through their uh, social media, which we do. So we do the screening and the syndication of that once it's all uh, set up and, and properly in place. There's some pretty exciting numbers about, uh, as you said, when you want to go to a restaurant, you, you Google it or whatever. You look for reviews. Talk about, you know, really the perception of the reality from the customer standpoint and what, what difference does it make? Ninety-nine percent or two percent? Well, I think uh, some of the numbers I've looked at is that if you if you have a four to five star review in Google search results, your clicks will increase by uh, roughly thirty-nine percent. So there's data surfacing that you know the reviews do make a difference in terms of consumer response. So some of the the quote you know website tips because most people no matter how you appear on Google and I, I have I Google something this morning. And I guess uh, on my screen there may be 12 or 15 lines, Google response. And it, it, there was only one incident on that whole page of the company's actual website. The other, in that example, maybe 12 or 13, were all other links to somewhere. That seems like an awful lot of busyness on the web. Is it getting too crowded out there? Uh, it's getting very crowded, and uh, Google isn't helping much because they keep changing the rules through the process. And, I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy about the industry. It's a learning curve every day. But, you know, I can go to bed and wake up the next morning, and it's <laughs> the different. Rules yeah. Boy, aren't we glad we're a baseball player and it happens to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, their, their goal, quite frankly, is to drive revenue. So that free advertising space is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So businesses not only have to be looking at Google and the SEO and those kinds of things, they've got to be looking at other ways they can get exposure for their business or website digitally. All right. As we begin to come down the home stretch, let's assume someone has not a single testimonial on their website today and they need to get more more, more, more hits or more customers. Or more. What's the first thing that people need to start looking at? Well, the first thing they need to do is to figure out where they are is to, one, Google themselves. Nearly zero, okay. Nearly zero, <laughs> and see how you fit in for your keyword or phrase. Uh, we also offer a free online authority tool so that people can uh, analyze what their authority uh, is. Oh, well, that's, that's a good place to begin to wrap up. Because yeah. people can do their own little self-examination in the mirror, right? That's correct. Right, so wh- where's correct. that site they can go out and do a uh, quick it's, analysis? The, uh, it's Q2Digital, the letter Q, the number 2, digital.com slash authority dash report that's pretty good so q2 digital.com slash authority dash report no sorry it's online dash authority online dash authority so i guess that's probably how they get to you you must be q2 digital right i must be q2 digital right and your name is michael hammock and how do they get in touch with you uh, q2digital.com is the website our main number is 770-218-1000 I'm on the sales side of it, so I'm option one. And if you do run a report, 
we can certainly spend a few minutes to kind of help you understand that report. And that's the key. So today we've gone from the beginning from the beginning of the web back just went right after Al Gore built it, as we say, <laughs> all all the way through how authority works and how you can help yourself make your website more visible. And then we moved over and we got Hunter with us today. And I'm Hunter. I'm gonna let you wrap up and tell people how to find you. But we learned about how that uh, there are some dark parts to the web, and that's not maybe as as exciting. But then we found out how that blockchain is being implemented throughout the marketplace today, and more and more folks are looking how to put more and more transparency possibly even save some time and streamline some reporting so hunter folks want to get in touch with you how do they do that for anyone who would like to reach us we can be found at mamir blockchain.solutions and we're also available on facebook linkedin um, most of the major social media outlets so just google mamir blockchain solutions i'm sure you'll come across one of our pieces and for the benefit of us from alabama spell mamir for me (laughs) m-i-m-i-r Very good. I appreciate it. Almost half the people in the room are from Alabama here, so we wanted to figure out how to spell my mirror. Sounds like one of those fancy words that needed some spelling. So today we've been brought to you for the courtesy of the, the station here. Uh, Pro Business Channel has some very fabulous things coming on. You may or may not be aware we do some events. Right now we're doing a series with Microsoft, so if you'll go to Pro Business Channel uh, events.com you can find a number of different ways that you can participate in technology you can participate in learning about more about more things that we do and you can share some time with us maybe even with, over that glass of scotch right so uh, it's a pleasure to be in the studio with you gentlemen today we've had michael hammock from q2 digital talking about the web we've had howard pendergast talking about both the dark web and blockchain technologies which are really going to continue to change our life and continue to develop the web that where we need it to be so for that, I'm Michael Moore. I'm your host today for the Buckhead Business Show here at the Pro Business Channel overlooking the fabulous view in Buckhead, and this is the place to be. So with that, let's close out. Thank you for joining us and our guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of the Buckhead Business Show. Brought to you by the Buckhead Business Association.